there, you are listening to IWG Radio, the place to be for all of your wellness needs. Hosted by functional medicine physician, Dr. Nicole Rivera and functional medicine nutritionist, Brooke Scheller. We just want to take a moment to thank you so much for listening and just let you know that any of the information that is provided is strictly for an educational resource and is not intended to diagnose or treat any conditions. The lifestyle interventions discussed should not be used as a substitute for any type of conventional medical therapy. This is Dr. Nicole, and I am here with Brooke Scheller. Uh, we both work side by side at Integrative Wellness Group uh, doing integrative medicine. And today we are talking about something called autoimmune pernicious anemia. Some of you might be like, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but overall, uh, this is actually something tied to major B12 deficiency. So we're going to uncover. A little bit more information in relation to just a traditional B12 deficiency opposed to an autoimmune condition that could be also causing you to have a B12 deficiency and allowing you to know how to get the proper testing to decipher between the two and also just to let you know how the approach can be very, very different for starting to replenish those B12 levels. Yeah, and this is such a great topic because I think there are so many people, and B12 is kind of this hot topic that you know we see a lot about it online, that it can help to support our energy levels, and it is super important actually for our cells to produce energy, so we do need it. And I think a lot of people have maybe tried different B12 supplements, and maybe you had a little bit of relief, maybe not, or maybe you're someone who has gone down the route in doing B12 injections, which we can talk a little bit about those things a little bit later on as well. But um, you know what I wanted to kind of touch on too is you know you might be thinking autoimmune pernicious anemia. What what does this mean? But the one word in there that you probably recognize is that term of anemia, and a lot of us associate anemias uh, more closely with iron deficiencies. But there are several different types of anemias, and anemia pretty much means that there's a lack of oxygen that's getting into the cell, and so this is just a different form of that happening, and so. This is why the testing is really critical because you know you want to understand if an anemia is present and really what the root of it is. So is it something that is you know from an iron? Is it from B12? Um, and if it is potentially from B12, is it something on the autoimmune scale? Yeah, I think that that was a really really important point for you to make, Brooke, because again we are associating most of our anemias with iron but you can have pernicious anemia, which actually is associated with B12 deficiency, but in addition is a folate deficiency. And folate and folic acid, I feel like that the terminology is interchanged a lot in our society. They actually are quite different. Folate is the usable form um, that our body can used to help us to support these anemias, get the oxygen into the cells. But unfortunately, most things we're getting exposed to through uh, different types of grains, cereals, and even supplements is folic acid. And not everyone can necessarily absorb folic acid. Um, it's actually better to gravitate towards folate. Uh, so when you are looking at supplements, that's a very important factor. No matter what you're taking, if you're taking a B complex or if you're taking a B12, it absolutely needs to have some of what you call methylfolate in there. It's very, very important for the absorption. 
But uh, one of the things that actually Brooke uh, did a lot of research on in school was birth control in relation to folate depletion. So I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this because... Again, if your folate is completely depleted, this is going to play a very big role in you also having a B12 deficiency. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And and I've always kind of loved this topic about how birth control can cause a lot of different nutrient depletions. And it's really important because when we look at um, drug-induced nutrient depletions, if we look at things that are maybe short-term meds that we take, we don't really have to worry so much about them depleting out our nutrient status too much. However, something like birth control, I mean, here in in practice, we see women sometimes five years, 10 years, 15 or 20 years, they've been taking the birth control, and that can really significantly affect your absorption levels of uh, both folate, but also B12 levels. And it's kind of interesting because a lot of women will say that when they're taking birth control, they feel like they get a little crazy, or maybe they feel a little bit more depressed. And we can talk in a moment a little bit more about some of the symptoms that are associated with some of these deficiencies. But what's happening is if you're taking that over the long term, it's potentially just pulling those levels down. And if you're not aware of that and you're not taking supplementation over long term, you're going to become very depleted in them. Definitely. And just an interesting side note about major uh, folate deficiency and B12 deficiency is you'll actually be very inclined to have abnormal pap smears. And if they're doing a pap smear and they're really just noticing abnormal cells, they might actually be equating that to HPV, but it actually may be due to this massive deficiency. So if they are diagnosing you with HPV, you know, you really want to ask for some blood work to back that up or an actual culture of the cells, just to be clear, because I know that's a very devastating thing that a lot of young women deal with is that diagnosis and, you know, they feel, you know, uh, that they have an STD, et cetera. And I do find that it's usually due to massive uh, depletions because birth control has been in the picture for again, five, 10, sometimes even 15 years. Yeah, yeah, And, and just even a little bit of backstory, even on myself, when I was in college, I, um, I had gone to a doctor at the health center and they had done a little bit of blood work on me and the doctor had said to me, um, oh, everything looked fine on the blood work. He, he printed it out for me and he was like, yep, everything was normal. And he told me there was one little marker in your complete blood count that was a little bit high, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not a big deal. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about how you can really screen and tell if there is a B12 deficiency, but what he was neglecting to tell me at that time was that I was actually having a B12 deficiency and I had been on birth control for several years. So it's really interesting how, you know, now I reflect back 10 years ago and and see that, but you might even be able to look back and see those patterns coming up. You know, if you're someone, maybe you're even in your 30s or 40s and you suffer with some of the symptoms that we'll mention and you said, you know, oh, well, I was on birth control for five years and... Um, you know, maybe I've always had stomach problems and we'll talk a little bit about that too. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of jump into some of those symptoms. Now I mentioned like depression, anxiety type of symptoms are often common, but let's talk more about some of those other things that might be common with B12 or folate deficiency. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that we see is people that are dealing with neurological symptoms. They're having some bouts of numbness or tingling in their hands or their feet. 
And of course, you know, that's a very nerve wracking thing because you start thinking, oh my gosh, am I developing something like multiple sclerosis or something more serious? Um, but the, the typical, you know, hand and feet, especially if it's a come and go type of numbness or tingling that you're experiencing, that actually can be due to major B12 deficiency. And one of the things to notice is after you um, have any type of alcoholic uh, beverages, if you were to you know go out and have some wine with friends and the next day you are noticing that you're having that numbness and tingling in the hands and feet more so, that can also be an indicator because you will actually deplete most of your B12 reserves when you drink alcohol. So that's definitely a, a major thing that we see. But uh, we also will have a tendency to see a lot of changes in hair and skin. And it's not necessarily just thinner hair or dry skin. This is people that can de develop vitiligo, which means that, which is technically an autoimmune condition, and you have pale spots on your skin due to the loss of uh, pigment. And another very big one is going to be uh, alopecia, uh, which is pretty much when people start to have patches of their hair falling out. Everybody's a little bit different. They, the te technical textbook is that they start losing the outer portions of their eyebrows first, and then they can move to different patches on the head. But I do see that sometimes it's the opposite, and it starts in the head and then moves to the eyebrows later. But it's generally just having, you know, not just hair loss, but actual complete bald patches on different parts of either the head or the, even the face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, even with the, the hypopigmentation of the skin, it doesn't even necessarily have to be to the extent of the vitiligo, but sometimes even just changes on your skin, you're seeing a little bit of blotchiness, white patches, any type of hypopigmentation, the loss of the pigmentation has been associated with the B12. And general fatigue, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a million reasons why someone might be fatigued, but like I mentioned earlier, B12 is really important in that cycle of energy production, and so if we don't have enough of it, we will become pretty depleted. Yeah, and, and for those of you that maybe have been on a functional medicine or integrative medicine path for a while, uh, you might be familiar with, you know, detoxification and you maybe have been screened for heavy metals um, or you might know that you have a lot of silver fillings in your mouth and maybe have explored what to do about that. But when you have major B12 deficiency as well as folate deficiency, what happens is your it's something in your body called methylation. Your methylation cycles are going to be very, very compromised, which actually will play a very big role in your body's ability to detox. So you might be uh, noticing that if you've ever embarked on some type of detox, maybe you took some supplements, maybe you did some therapies that you struggled with it and you, your body really had a negative reaction. And it could be because these deficiencies were not allowing the detox pathways to work optimally. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that isn't necessarily associated with a symptom of B12 deficiency, but it's really important to talk about is going to be talking about any dysfunction that's going on in the gastrointestinal system. So again, not that this is going to present if you have a B12 deficiency, but if you are having even if it's um, reflux symptoms or heartburn, or if you're having bloating or gas or irregular bowel movements, if you're having dysfunction in the, in the gut, it's potentially going to affect your ability to absorb that B12. Of course. So on the flip side, so let's actually get into what this autoimmune pernicious anemia means, because mm -hmm. 
this is everything that we've talked about uh, thus far is actually more of the conventional reasons why you have a B12 deficiency. And when you get into this autoimmune component to a B12 deficiency, you actually can start with the gastrointestinal issues. And you could be maybe dealing with upper issues in the sense of heartburn, reflux, too much even burping, feeling like you have a burning sensation in your left rib cage area, which can maybe be overproduction of acid in the stomach. Uh, and then if that goes on long enough, you might notice that it, you're starting to have some discomfort and even bloating right below the sternum. So kind of at that upper portion of the gastrointestinal system. So the reason why this is significant is because the area where you're actually absorbing your B12 is the very, very, very start of your small intestine. So to just kind of give you the general location of that is if you go to the bottom of your sternum, uh, which is like your chest plate, if you go to the bottom of that right where it's, it's the very, very top of your abdomen, that is actually the location where your B12 is absorbed. So if you potentially have had infections in your stomach, maybe causing again the reflux, the indigestion, the heartburn, uh, if you've had infections in the stomach and then potentially have had infections in the small intestine, which we call SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, the infections in those areas are going to actually create an immune response. And it's just your immune system, it's doing its job. It's like, hey, you should not be here. So let me fight you and kill you and get rid of you. But unfortunately, if the infection is persistent and if the infection is putting up a fight, then your immune system can start doing some damage to the surrounding cells and it's going to do some damage to the parietal cells. And those are the cells that will actually allow you to absorb your B12. Yeah, your, your parietal cells are within the stomach and they secrete both your stomach acid. So in order to break down food and, and help to enhance the digestive process, but they also secrete something called intrinsic factor. And intrinsic factor is actually uh, needed in order to absorb B12. Mm -hmm. So when these parietal cells are affected in this autoimmune situation, they're not A, secreting the acid properly, but they're also not secreting that intrinsic factor, which we need for the B12. So even if you are getting enough B12 through the diet, you're not actually taking that into the body. And these are the people that are peeing anywhere from yellow to neon green <laughs> because your B vitamins are pretty much going in the system and they are not being absorbed to any capacity and they're going right out the other end. Uh, so the other thing too is when you're, when you're uh, considering testing, there's some uh, very, very important factors with what you just said, Brooke. So when you're trying to explore the potential that you have a B12 deficiency, but maybe this is being caused by an autoimmune condition, you absolutely need to be checked for an infection called H. pylori. Um, H. pylori, yes, you can test it in the blood, but more importantly, it really should be tested through stool sample because that's the most accurate reading. And you can also do a breath test as well. So there's a couple of routes that you can go but that is going to give you a major indicator if you're not only dealing with an autoimmune pernicious anemia, but also if you're susceptible. But that's more so from an infectious standpoint. 
The other thing is if you're looking to be checked for SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you need to be doing a breath test in addition. It is a different style of a breath test in comparison to the H. pylori. So this is something you need to speak to your physician about. Uh, in addition, if you're really trying to know about the autoimmunity, there's two things that you have to consider is the anti-parietal cell antibodies, which means the parietal cells are being damaged. But Brooke also mentioned intrinsic factor, and you also need to look at intrinsic factor antibodies because everyone is different. Some people might actually have an autoimmune attack on the parietal cells. Some people might actually have an autoimmune attack on the intrinsic factor. Which would mean that when that's actually being secreted, the body is attacking that and eliminating it so that it's not even available to be used. Exactly. So overall, the parietal cells or the intrinsic factor, they're not working. They're not able to do their job. Um, and another thing that's very tricky about B12 is the urine is actually the best way to test for B12. And it's commonly being run in the blood. But if you want to have an accurate reading about a B12 deficiency in the blood, you actually need to look at something called methamalonic acid. So this is very, very important. So if you're looking at your blood work and your physician ran B12 and you're thinking you're in the clear, but maybe you're relating to some of these symptoms that we're talking about, or you've been on birth control a very, very long time, you absolutely need to take it a step further and look at methamalonic acid in the blood or look at your B12 levels in your urine, because that is a way more accurate reading. Uh, testing can definitely get pretty tricky, and it's unfortunate that we have to be an advocate for ourselves, because a lot of the physicians are not necessarily being trained on the various ways to, to look at these deficiencies, uh, because it's just not in the traditional medical training. Yeah, with something like serum B12 levels, what happens is it's measuring what's in the blood, but it's not actually measuring what's being used. Exactly. So the methylmalonic acid is actually the metabolite. It's actually telling you about the breakdown and the utilization of the B12. So it's kind of telling you from the other end what's actually being used. Exactly. Um, and you also might want to look even at homocysteine levels which is going to also elevate if there is a B12 and a folate deficiency as well. And same thing kind of goes for serum folate levels, that they are kind of, uh, a lot of times we'll actually see them elevated in people that are taking supplementation that aren't actually absorbing it and utilizing it. So it's really common to see that too. Yeah. And also too is, you know, we run blood work all the time within Integrative Wellness Group, but... You'll, what we constantly are noticing is that the reference ranges for, for these different values are, are always changing. So technically, you know, we're, we were just looking at it earlier today, but methamalonic acid, according to LabCorp standards, it should not be higher than 360. Uh, by the time your methamalonic acid is 360, you are practically bottomed out for B12. So in reality, the methamalonic acid should not even be higher than 120. So that's the thing about testing. Again, it gets very tricky and you want to have some basic knowledge as a patient, but you also want to make sure that you're working with physicians that understand the bigger picture and have done, done some advanced training so that you're able to get a very, very clear picture is, is your energy or your fatigue due to these B12 deficiencies. And more importantly, is this tied back to infections in your gastrointestinal system? Because if it comes to a B12 deficiency that is not autoimmune, you can take the right types of B vitamins 
at the right dose and, and be okay. But if you're dealing with an autoimmune condition, it's a matter of going in there and cleaning up the infectious component and also repairing the tissue. It's not about just supplementing for the rest of your life with a B12. So there's another layer to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, there's something that you can do even if you've had a, a regular normal blood screening at your physician more recently, something called a complete blood count which is where they actually measure your white blood cells and your red blood cells. A lot of times, and like we mentioned, there's two, there's the iron deficiency anemia, there's the B12 deficiency anemia. When you look at your red blood count and you look at something called the MCV, the MCV and the red blood count will actually elevate when there's a B12 deficiency. And this could be kind of minor elevations too. So pay attention even if it's not red flag out of range. When it's low, when both of those uh, numbers are low, that's really more indicative of an iron deficiency. So again, it's something that's not really commonly used or commonly really looked at unless it's a major issue, but it can allude to if you're maybe falling below the scale on where you should be. So just to recap, some of the things that we talked about today is being able to decipher between just a uh, traditional B12 deficiency, which can go back to uh, the use of birth control over a long period of time. I want to stop you real quick because there's another really important drug-induced nutrient depletion that's important here, especially if you are someone that has had long-term reflux, heartburn, indigestion symptoms. If you've been taking a PPI or an, an H2 blocker, you will actually lower the stomach acid and that can also increase your risk for B12 deficiency. So um, the really important thing about that is oftentimes when we have these infections in the stomach, they're gonna make it feel like we have that overproduction of acid. So usually we're using those medications to tone that down and, and feel some relief. However, they can be working against you to a degree too. So it's important to kind of keep that into consideration as well. Yeah, when you have infections in the stomach, and just, you know, so you understand, the stomach is really uh, the very, very start of the gastrointestinal system. And we produce acid in order to protect us against pathogens. But when we do acquire these specific types of infections, which unfortunately is too common just because most of the food that we eat has some level of bacteria on it. Uh, what happens is you have, you know, the normal amounts of acid that help you to break down your food, but you will actually have an overproduction of rancid acids when you have infections in the stomach. So that can easily get confused with the idea that your stomach is producing too much acid. So you will feel better when you take those acid blockers like Tums and Prilosec, Prevacid, Nexium, but unfortunately, you're, we're missing the complete uh, culprit for why that's happening in the first place, which is usually some type of infection. And H. pylori is the most commonly studied, but honestly, it could be so many other types of infections. So it's very, very important to consider the long-term use of those types of medications that Brooke mentioned. And again, that includes Prilosec, Prevacid, Nexium, uh, and even just your over-the-counter Tums. So if you're listening and you're resonating with some of this and you want to learn a little bit more about what we do here at Integrative Wellness Group, we're happy to offer a free 15-minute strategy call to anyone who's listening. And you can head over to integrativewellnessgroup.com and schedule that right away. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.